This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg He's basically explaining that the, the Kabbalah says, the Arizal says, that in today's day and age, the main clarification comes about through prayer. And he's explained what's the uniqueness of prayer. Why is prayer, in a way, superior to studying of Torah and to doing mitzvot? There are three ways to connect with God. There are three pillars. Prayer, mitzvot, tzedakah, and Torah. Well, prayer, uh, mitzvot and tzedakah is all like, it's all like, it's action, it's deed. So it's all like in one category and Torah. But there is something, he's going to bring out the uniqueness and what's special about each and every one of these in its effect in this world, how you clarify and separate and sift through the good from the bad. So first he starts out, what's special about prayer? What's unique about prayer that puts it in its own category? It's beyond even Torah and mitzvah. So he says, what's special about prayer is that prayer draws down Hashem, the infinite light. More so, than even Torah and mitzvot. Of course, when you learn Torah, you do a mitzvah, you draw down the infinite light. But it's, it's in a garment, in the mitzvah. But with prayer, it's without a garment. It's open, it's revealed. How do we see this? Direct line. Direct line. How do we see this? The effect, the impact of prayer. When you pray, what do you pray for? Hashem heal me, heals the sick. So a person is sick. The doctors give up hope. Naturally, there's no way to cure this person. And you pray. Hashem responds to your prayer. And a miracle happens. Suddenly, you're well. You see a physical change. You see godliness manifest in the most obvious, tangible way in this physical world. A change. A dramatic change. You're financially one way, and then all Hashem answers your prayer, bankrupt, and Hashem answers your prayer, and suddenly the gates of heaven open up, and your situation changes. Whatever it is you're praying for, there's an obvious change. So Hashem reveals Himself in this physical world in the most obvious way. Prayers are answered. Miracles happen. So this we only find by prayer. But how do we accomplish this? 
how do we achieve, how do we get Hashem to answer our prayer, to have such an intense revelation of the infinite light that like skips over the whole chain reaction and the whole world that Hashem changes and breaks and shatters and all the laws of nature and miracles happen. How is this possible? And unlike Torah, Torah, yes, Torah has a tremendous effect, an impact. You add light. You bring down, draw down tremendous light. But the effect of the Torah is on high in the spiritual world, of divine world of emanation. You don't sense it. And the person who's studying Torah doesn't have to be in a very high level. Because your activity is a divine activity, a holy activity. You're studying Torah, you're studying the divine mind. You get out of the way and you're just studying Hashem's mind. So you're doing something holy, you're doing something godly. So of course, if you're doing something godly, it draws down and has a tremendous uh, godly effect. So you don't, have to, you don't need such tremendous, intense preparation for the studying of Torah. As long as your ego is out of the way a little, you just allow the Torah to have its effect and its impact, and your Torah does tremendous things on high. But you don't feel it here below. You don't sense it here below. When you do a mitzvah, also you're doing something holy, because you're already doing something holy. You're doing Hashem's will, you're taking an object, but you don't see the effect in the object that you're doing the mitzvah or that arm that's doing the mitzvah, you don't see. But when you pray, it's amazing. Something You're praying inside. Something is happening inside of you. And you see the direct effect on the world outside of you. Hashem is answering your prayer. You're, you're changing the world. You're f- physically changing the world. You're praying, and you're changing the world. And this is Tugazot. This has always been the, 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 the strength of the Jewish people. It says the voice is the voice of Jacob and the hands are the hands of Asa. We pray and reality changes. What an amazing concept. We're not doing anything. Asa has hands. Okay, you can understand. With hands you can do something. You can build. You can do something. A Jew sits in shul and he prays and he's changing the whole world. (laughs) He's affecting the whole world. Our prayers affect the whole world. Physically, it affects the world. It says that the Tzemach Tzedek on Rosh Hashanah, he would sit in Rosh Hashanah. And the expression was a filt paratkes. He would affect and change the government, the czar. The czar. He would say, this minister is going to die this year, is going to be fired this year, this minister. He would, sitting in Lubavitch, a little shtetl, and he's sitting on Rosh Hashanah, and he's changing the world. He says, and it changes. A Jew prays, moves his lips, prays, and it physically affects the world. It says when we pray, that's why the Hebrew language, the, the words that the rabbis chose, the rabbis of the great assembly were prophets. Great, included prophets, the last of the great prophets and Mordechai and others, 120 rabbis. 
the words, the Hebrew words that they chose, this actually channels the energy that's creating the world. So when we pray for health, these words channel health. And when we pray for, for livelihood, financial success, these Hebrew words channel the energy. So we're saying words. It's not just we're saying words. It's, we're actually affecting the world. We're changing the world. From illness to health. From deprivation to abundance. And we pray for the ultimate change. The change of from death to resurrection. Mashiach will come, will be the ultimate change. We mentioned that in the opening prayers, that God is one who, in the second prayer, which is the prayer of Yitzchak, corresponding to Yitzchak. The first prayer is Avram, kindness, compassion, kindness. The second prayer is Yitzchak, Isaac, strength, intensity. What's the characteristic of strength? Gevura, change, like fire. When you burn something, you're changing it. You're changing the object. Fire is the ability to change. That's intense. That's powerful. That's strength. So in that blessing, we, we praise God, the one who changes things. He heals the sick and he... And he will resurrect the dead. Things can change. Things can move. Instead of being stuck. And a physical change. A change that you can see. It's tangible. How does this come about? In order for us to evoke such a powerful response from Hashem, it has to start from within us. We have to approach prayer with such an intensity. There has to be a stirring, a soul stirring, a stirring of the soul. Also, gavura, strength, intense, very profound, very powerful. That's, that's earth-shattering, that shakes us up, that moves us to our core, that gets us to change inside. When we change inside, and we pour our hearts out to Hashem, we're not talking about mouthing words of prayer. That's superficial. Those type of prayers go nowhere, as we learned earlier in the earlier essays. They're stuck in neutral. And those prayers are not answered. We wonder why our prayers are not answered, because we never really prayed. That's not a prayer. We're being very formal, very polite. Very formal, very polite. Like I, we're speaking to each other, I speak to Hashem. That's very superficial. That's not what gets to Hashem. What gets to Hashem is a prayer that comes from the depth of our heart, our soul. Yeah, from ourselves. When something, when we pour our hearts out and we feel a stirring and a yearning to Hashem, a desire, an intense desire, to get such an extreme response, there has to be something inside of us that's also very extreme and intense and powerful, a yearning that's so powerful, that's so all-encompassing, that's so genuine, that's so sincere, and so deep, and so real, solster. When something shakes within us, shakes up within ourselves, when we give a shuckle inside of us, that touches Hashem. That shakes Hashem. And the response, suddenly things start stirring, things start moving. 
blocks are opened up, unblocked, barriers suddenly open up, things just move like water that becomes intense and powerful. It just bursts through the dam and you have change. Suddenly things start changing because something changed inside of us. Something shifted inside of us. We touch the place within us, the godliness within us, that's so real and so deep. And this is what he calls the love of Bechol Maidecha. When you love Hashem with all your being. All your being, there's a love which is calm. But then you have a love which is a fiery love. Which is beyond your capacity. Overflowing. A love that's, that's burning, that's such an intense yearning that you just go beyond yourself. It touches the infinite within yourself. It's something, it's an expression of something infinite. It's beyond your limitations. It's beyond your limited self. You're, you're, you're overflowing. You know, you can talk to someone calmly when it doesn't affect you so much. The subject matter doesn't affect you so much. But let's say your life is on the line. Your life is on the line. You're not talking calmly. The, the nicest people suddenly become very powerful and very intense. When your life is on the line, there's no... You know, you go beyond your niceties and your... My, uh, my grandmother, she... Um, my maternal grandmother. So in Russia in, 19, in 1941 and 42, her husband was drafted. All the, any male that was alive and breathing and walking was drafted to the army. So... My grandmother and her four daughters, very young girls, I think the oldest was seven, eight. The government took the family to a little settlement. It was only women, because all the husbands were taken, drafted. And um, there was, uh, first there was only one other Jewish woman there, there was only one other Jewish person. And then when she died, my grandmother had to arrange a, a kosher burial for her. And they were there for like two years. In the beginning, they were still getting letters, but then the letters stopped. My grandfather was killed in action. And um, it was almost impossible to survive. Uh, my grandmother had no choice. She had to feed her kids whatever they offered there, which is not, not always kosher. But she refused to eat anything non-kosher. She just took f- flour and water, and that's what she ate every day. Made, made, baked something, and that was her food for two years. She kept her own calendar, reminding herself which day is a holiday. But after two years, she realized she's not going to survive another winter like this. It's, it's not possible. So she decided to travel, because her sister and, uh, and brother-in-law... Rabbi Mendel Futafas, very famous Lubavitch Chassid, 
they, uh, they ran away, they escaped to very deep inside Russia and they, in Asia in the, in the uh, in Samarkand, which was like in Bukhara to, es- to run away from the Nazis so she said she has to take her kids there and she has to go there but in Russia you can't just travel not like in the United States, you need permission so she had to walk there was no ride, she had to walk like a day in the forest, in the middle of the night, she had to walk to the place where the government, uh, the government officials were to get permission. Anyway, a long story, she gets there. And they refused. They say, no. Her <laughs> grandmother was terrified of the night. There was an ordeal just getting there. But, and she was the nicest lady, the kindest, nicest, she never yelled, never raised a voice. But when they said no, she started banging on the table. <laughs> she says, how dare you? My husband's on the front line. You're sitting here comfortably. And you're telling me no. I'm not leaving here until you give me a permit. And they looked at her and they saw she's for real. She's not playing games. <laughs> and they immediately gave her permission. She had to go to the train, the whole story. Till finally she made it. But the point is, when something affects you personally and deeply, there's no niceties, there's no... You know, it's the famous story in the Tanakh, Chana. Chana was praying, she had no children. Chana was praying. And Eli accused her of being drunk. And she said, I'm not drunk, I'm just very bitter. I have no children, and therefore I'm praying. And we learn a lot of this, the laws of prayer we learn from Hannah. She was drunk in prayer. She wasn't drunk. Ailey didn't think she was, she was intoxicated. She went. But he, means, he meant to say, that's not the way you pray. You pray to God. You have to pray respectfully. And you have to, you know, like one, like you're speaking to, we're speaking to each other. You're speaking to a king. You pray respectfully. Why are you carrying on and, Hannah said, because this affects my life, it affects my very being. So I'm, you think I'm drunk, but I'm drunk. I'm praying with such intensity. I'm praying in a way because it affects my life and affects me so personally that I'm pouring out my, my soul. That's what prayer is. That's what we learn all prayers from Hannah. I'm pouring out my soul, Tasha. Not a question of niceties, not niceties. It's, it's, it's my life. It's not, it's not just a ritual. I'm not just going through the motions. I'm not being polite. Yeah, you can accuse me of being drunk. Yes. I'm out of my mind. You're right. A person who's drunk is out of his mind. I'm out of my mind. I have, I'm drunk with godliness. I'm thirsting for godliness. I'm out of my mind with godliness. It's so intense and so powerful that, that God can't resist. He, can't, he has to relent. <laughs> if you're praying like that, with such intensity and so, so, gen- so genuinely, and so you're pouring out your heart, it's raw, it's real, it's, it's, there's no embellishment, niceties, it's as real as it gets. How can Hashem not respond? 
And just like your prayer comes from the depth of your being, from your infinite self, the godliness within you, Hashem also responds from His infinite self. All the rules and laws of the universe, God answers. And you see immediate, and you see results, and you see it physically and materially. Hashem does it. You don't, you don't do anything. Hashem creates the, the miracle. The prayer is answered physically and materially and tangible. But there are times that you know that that never works. I mean, like the poor mother that's pouring her heart out over the hospital, her son in the hospital bed, and praying to God with everything she has, her soul, her heart, her whole being, and he dies. Yes. Yes. There are no guarantees, and, um, and we don't know the bigger picture, you know. Right. We have, we have faith. There's a bigger picture. You know, a great Rebbe once said, I pray to Hashem, Hashem, if I'm praying for something, and ultimately it's not for, it's not for my benefit, please don't, don't listen to my prayers. Uh, we, don't, we don't know the bigger picture. We don't understand these things. Um, we have faith. After the fact, whatever Hashem does is for a reason. But we're talking about the many cases, and this has been the Jewish story. This has been our weapon. This is our power. This is what we do. We pray from the beginning. And look, here we are, 3,800 years later. If this is not an answer to prayer, (laughs) this is only the power of prayer. It's not by our might. It's not by our strength. It's not by our brute force. It's prayer. It's our prayer to Hashem. It's Hashem is... Our connection with Hashem. A Jew prays. Any situation, we pray. That, that's what we do. That's who we are. Our connection with Hashem. We strengthen the connection with Hashem, and then miracles happen. We can't explain it. How do you explain Jewish survival and existence? We can't explain it. Inexplicable. It's not logical. It makes absolutely no sense. It defies all laws of nature. It's only by the power of our prayer. And that's true collectively, and it's also true individually. And many times in our lives when we pray, and Hashem does answer. Sometimes prayer answer goes halfway. Sometimes Hashem meets us halfway. Prayer affects half. It's but something changes, something shifts, something gives. Now he says this love is an infinite love, even though we're not capable of doing anything infinite because we're finite. And our infinite love in comparison to someone else is considered finite. Not only that, a week from now, a month from now, yesterday's infinite love is now finite. Yesterday, it overflowed and it went beyond my capacity. But as I grow and I mature, yesterday's infinite now becomes finite. So it's not really infinite. So how can our finite, infinite love or our fiery love or yearning or intensity, how could that possibly evoke a response from Hashem's infinite self? When no matter what level we reach, we're still finite. So while that's true, but it's a reflection of the infinite. Where does this, the ability that we have to go beyond ourselves, this ability is a reflection of the infinite. Angels never get beyond themselves. Angels are great and spiritual and sublime. 
but they, they are what they are. Only we have that capacity to reach beyond ourselves. We're not programmed. We can act in ways that are unpredictable. We can reach beyond ourselves. We can, we can surprise. With angels, there are no surprises. In a way, they're programmed. It's expected. We are full of surprises. We can reach beyond ourselves. We can change. We're unpredictable. Why is that? Where, do we, where does this come from, ultimately? Because we have the power to innovate. We have the power to create. Because we have egos and we have natural souls. And for us to get our body, our ego, our natural soul to love Hashem, this is a novelty. This is unexpected. We expect the godly soul to love Hashem because the godly soul is godly. So naturally it's attracted to godly things and godliness. But the ego soul, the natural soul, the fun-loving, thrill-seeking, hot-blooded, passionate self that's naturally attracted to materialism. If we can transform the animal within us that our animal soul should lust and be attracted to godly things and godliness, This is unpredictable. This is surprising. This is innovative. This is what touches Hashem. That's why we can touch Hashem way beyond the... The angels can't touch Hashem like we can because the angels are spiritual. An angel is an angel. No surprises. Sublime. Totally expected. What do you expect? There's no news there. But for a human being, a flesh and blood of material a material being who's naturally coarse, crass and materialistic and selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed, that we should have the capacity to rise above ourselves and we should have the capacity to change and to transform the material into something godly. That even our animal soul should, should run to show with the same energy and excitement other people are running to Las Vegas and other places. This is a novelty. It's this novelty, this innovation, this creative innovation that touches Hashem so deeply. And that's why only in this world, that's why prayer in this world, a human being praying in this world, has such an effect and has such an impact. Because of this this novelty, of this innovation. That's why it says the, the words of prayer are turned by the angels and turned into the crown of Hashem, the stones in the crown of Hashem. Why do you put stones in the crown of a king? Stones are inanimate objects. You're putting it on top of the head, on the crown. Because it's a novelty that a stone, which is inanimate, should sparkle and should shine so brilliantly. It's an innovation. It's unexpected. That's why it's so, it's so exciting and you put the stone which over the head on top of the crown. So when the words of a human being of flesh and blood who's instead of being selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed he's pouring his heart out and his whole soul and being I want to connect with Hashem I want to, he's overflowing and he's changing inside this is, this is such a novelty. This becomes the crown, the stones in the crown, the gemstones 
in the crown. And this evokes from Hashem a likewise response. Hashem also overflows and goes beyond the whole frame of reference of the universe and the blessings flow downward. That's why it says prayer is like the ladder, Jacob's ladder. The sulam mutzav arza, the ladder is firmly planted in this world. The angels go up and then the angels come down. Doesn't make sense. First angels have to come down from their place, from heaven. Then they go back up. Why the angels first go up from the earth to the heaven and then they come down? Because this is referring to the ladder of prayer. So our prayers start from the ladder is firmly planted in this world. We start out, we're earthy, we're materialistic. Our orientation is very egotistical and earthy and self-centered and selfish. Coarse and crass. And we work our way up to heaven, to Hashem. And this becomes the stones and the gemstones and the crown that evokes a response and Hashem sends the prayer, sends the response down back into this world and we see the results. Hashem answers our prayers and we see tangible results. How many prayers we prayed and they were answered. And miraculously so. And you can see the immediate effect of the prayer. This is the novelty of prayer, we find, which, is, we find, which is even greater than Torah and mitzvot. That with prayer, our connection to Hashem is personal. It's very personal. Yes, you're drunk on godliness. You're out of your mind. You're beyond yourself. You're pouring out your essence. You're pouring out your heart, your soul. It's personal. It's person to person. The whole universe dissolves and all there is is my consciousness and Hashem. It's as personal as it gets. And when you have such a personal relationship, such a personal connection, Hashem doesn't remain indifferent. He can't remain indifferent. It's person to person. And He responds in kind. Personally. And depending and the depth of your prayer, and the intensity of your prayer, and the sincerity of your prayer, you have different responses to prayer. There are prayers that Hashem answers, you know, in a while. There are prayers that Hashem answers quickly. There are prayers that Hashem answers immediately. And there are such prayers that even before you pray, Hashem already answers. <laughs> so powerful. It all depends on us, what happens within us. So when we pray, we change. And we cause Hashem to change. Prayer has the power to create Yehi Ratzin, a Ratzin Chodr, to create a new will, to ch- a new ch- a change. Because we've changed. We have the capacity to change. Human beings are the only creatures in the universe that have the capacity to change. Not angels, not animals. We are the only ones. How do you express this ability? In prayer. That's when we change. That's where we change. While we pray, we're changing inside. That's the only thing that gets us to change. You're doing a mitzvah, you're doing. It's an activity. You're studying Torah. You're engaged. Your mind is engaged. It's beautiful. 
But the one thing that changes us and transforms us is like putting us through the fire and changes us. We come out changed. It's prayer. Prayer is the one activity that actually changes us and transforms us in the deepest way. And therefore, it changes the whole world. It has the power to change the world. It has the power of prayer. That's why prayer is so central in a Jew's life. It's essential and central. You can't have Torah alone and you can't have mitzvah alone. What is the central book in the Torah? Prayer. Sacrifice. And prayer is a substitute for sacrifice. Because this is essential. This is like the backbone. This is what keeps it all together. Because Torah is a godly activity. And mitzvot are a godly activity. But what changes us? What's the fire that changes us? That's the smelter. That's what's the furnace. And you want to smelt. You want to change something. You know, it's like the, uh, the ironsmith that learned everything. Apprentice. He learned everything. He went home. He put up the shield. Now he's ready to be on his own. But he couldn't, he couldn't bend anything. Nothing happened. He forgot one minor detail. He forgot to light the fire. To smelt the iron, he had to light the fire. To change our nature, our character to change, it's only when you have the fire, the furnace. And the hotter the fire, the easier it is. Things can melt, things can change, things can move. But when a person is rigid, if you're rigid, then we wonder why nothing changes in our lives. Hashem is not answering our prayer. Because I'm rigid, I'm not changing. I'm stuck. (laughs) I'm going backwards or I'm stuck in neutral. I'm not changing. I am this and I'm not changing. God, do something for me. Are you, are you changing? Did you make a dent? Did you lift a pinky? Any shift in your life? Any real change? And the only way to change is when there's fire. If there's no fire, if there's no passion, if there's no neshama, if there's no soul, nothing is changed. It's only when you overflow, when you go out of yourself, then you make a change. That's a symptom that there's a fire in your heart, in your soul, that you have a personal relationship with Hashem. And for Hashem's sake, I'm ready, I'm ready to change and do something. Shake me up a little. You know, in the yeshiva, our mashpim used to tell us, he's a beautiful analogy. He says, if you want to change someone, we know how difficult it is to change. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The more we stay the same. He says, if you want to change someone, there's two ways. He says, imagine a chicken that rolls in the, in the dust. Try cleaning that chicken. Feather by feather. One piece of dust by one piece of dust. You know, if you have a month to spare, maybe you'll succeed. But if you get the chicken to give one shake... One second, the chicken is 100% clean. That's what prayer is. A shake, a shuckle. Something shifts inside, something changes inside. You're overflowing with a yearning and an ecstasy for Hashem. You're just drunk with godliness. You're just overwhelmed with His need. You're not afraid to be needy. 
That's what fiery love is. That's what real love is. You're not afraid to need. And you're not ashamed, embarrassed to admit that you're vulnerable and that I need. That's why we love children to death. Why do we love children to death? Children are not ashamed to be vulnerable. They need, and they're very open about it. And you love them. I'll take care of you. I love you. But then we grow older. Our defenses go up. God forbid I should show any weakness. I don't need anyone. I'm independent. I don't need anyone. I'm a, an American. I'm a rugged individual. I'm a self-made man. I'm too proud and too strong. It's a weakness for me that I need another human being. I don't need anyone. I'm, but that's foolish. Real love is, you. yes, you are vulnerable, and I'm needy, and it's fine. And the, the great masters of the world, were, the great teachers of the world, were those teachers who were very needy, and they needed. To them, knowledge wasn't just uh, interesting information. They needed to learn and to study and to understand. They needed it desperately. And they're not afraid to show that neediness. And they infect their students with that sense of needing, hungering for knowledge, not just gathering information, but it's my life depends on it. That vulnerability and that neediness is a strength. It's not a weakness. So when a Jew is ready to cry to Hashem, you cry in prayer. Hashem, I need you. It's not just icing on the cake. It's not just a nicety. It's not just a nice thing. My life depends on it. I don't know if you saw, but I saw Hasidim who cried when they davened. They were crying like babies. Can you imagine davening like that to Hashem? That you're, you're, you're overflowing. Your heart is on fire. You're, you're, you're. Hashem, I'm not embarrassed. I, I need godliness and I'm yearning for it and I, I can't live without it. And I, Can you imagine having such an urge and need and... Someone would say, this guy is drunk on godliness. What's going on? He's, he's a normal people, sane people. Adults, adults don't cry like that. Unless it's a tragedy, God forbid. He's sitting on a Shabbos day, Shabbos afternoon, and the guy is crying like a baby. What's he crying? Because he, he, he needs godliness. He needs Hashem. And he's not ashamed to cry before Hashem. No one else knows. He's covered, his face is covered with a talus. And yet he's crying with every fiber of his being, every bone in his body, crying out to Hashem. This is what prayer is. This is what real prayer is. It's not just <coughs> mouthing words. It's not just asking for your needs. Prayer that's just asking for your needs goes nowhere, like we learned in the earlier essays. It's stuck in neutral. It's not heartfelt. It's not genuine. It's not sincere. It's, 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 it's a formula. Okay, what are the formulas? Okay, does this formula work? Let me press this button, that button, the other button. Let me say this till him. This, it's just formulas. Okay, very nice. Hashem is not a form, formula. He doesn't follow formulas. So your formulas are stuck nowhere and the prayers don't get answered because they never went anywhere. But the real prayer, where you're connecting with Hashem, where it's personal, you're overflowing, it's, 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 you're going beyond yourself, you're crying. When do you cry? When you're overwhelmed. When you can't, it's too much to take, you start crying. When it's too much to handle, it's beyond your capacity, you start crying. 
the Rebbe would cry a lot by Fabrenge. When, when, when it's so overwhelming, when you're beyond your capacity to contain, you just, the tears just flow out. Children cry easily because children are genuine, sincere, and they're open, and they can be vulnerable, and they're not ashamed, they're not afraid, and they, but then we get very defensive. Adults hardly, hardly ever cry. It means adults hardly ever really experience anything real in their life. Everything is so superficial. They go through life and they're busy and they're distracted and everything is superficial. Nothing is real. But to have that capacity to be able to pray to Hashem like Hannah, to cry and to pour her heart out and to cry to Hashem shamelessly because yes, I just can't contain it. My heart is just overflowing with such intensity and such sincerity and such depth. I just need Hashem and I'm not ashamed to say I need Hashem and I'm not embarrassed. This is real prayer. And this is the one thing, one place in our life that we can really make that connection. Where our essence touches the essence of Hashem. It's person to person. It's essence to essence. Consciousness to Hashem. And that's all that really exists at the end of the day my consciousness in Hashem. The whole universe dissolves. It's intimate. It's me and Hashem. And when you connect with Hashem at that level, prayers are answered. Miracles happen. It's tangible. It's physical. You can see it. It's manifest. This is the power of prayer. This is what the Baal Shem Tov came to restore. By the time the Baal Shem Tov came on the scene, in the Ashkenazic world, especially in the Ashkenazic world, prayer became perfunctory. To many, it was almost like a waste of time. Okay, get it over with quickly. Let me go back to the Talmud. Let me go back to the learning. Prayer was something you have to do and do it and do it halachically and regulate it and everything. But the soul of prayer, the essence of prayer, what prayer was all about, this is the soul and essence of a Jew, was completely forgotten. Came along the Baal Shem Tev. And the Alter Rebbe, who was the grandson of the, the spiritual grandson of Hashem, to place prayer on top. This is like the whole essence of Chabad, the whole essence of Hasidus. To restore prayer. That's where he starts out this, this essay. In our day and age, the, the main service is prayer. This is where we sparkle, this is where we shine, this is, what, this is what's needed today, this is what going to get us to change. If we want to penetrate this world and penetrate the physical world and penetrate the coarseness and the crassness and the selfishness and self-centeredness, self-absorption, it's only going to be through prayer. And a fiery prayer. Very deep and profound and powerful prayer. Okay, so let's... So this is called, page 300, the second paragraph from the bottom. It is described... It is described as Mi'otcha. Mi'otcha. In the, in the Shema. You should love Hashem with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being. Loving God with all your might, with each individual's capacity for infinity. infinity. Though man is inherently limited, and though, moreover, all of one man's might might be considered less than ultimate, is another man's nevertheless even... This limited degree of lim- limitlessness suffices. 
if it's limitless for you, if you're going beyond, you're overflowing, you're going beyond your own capacity, that's all that matters. That's a reflection of Hashem's infinity. Your infinity touches Hashem's infinity, even though it's not really infinite. But since you are going beyond your nature, you're going beyond yourself, you're going beyond your capacity, that's a reflection and that touches Hashem's infinity. That evokes Hashem's infinity. To arouse the divine state of infinity, where the arousal from below need best resemble the response from above that it seeks to elicit. If, if an arousal from below may truly be considered infinite relative to the particular individual's capabilities, it suffices to draw down the infinite light from above. This is affected through the Gavurov, the attributes of severity of the divine name, Sag, which can constitute the 288 sparks. The love and longing, Ratso, which a man experiences during prayer to the extent of Miodefa, with all your might, are aroused by the Gavurov of Sag, the divine name that is the source of the 288 sparks of Toho. These sparks derive from the vessels of Toho, whose spirit originally in a state of infinite longing to become wholly one with Hashem. This longing parallels the soul's love and longing for Hashem to the point of Meodefa. He's saying, where does this infinite love come from? You know, we, you know, man is the only creature that has insatiable appetites. You ever met an animal that overdosed? or got drunk, or <laughs> overate. <laughs> Only man is addicted. Animals don't suffer from addictions unless they hang around people here in Manhattan. But, but uh, people, uh, animals don't suffer from addictions. Only human beings. So most religions look at that. As, it's a proof of man's degradation. Look how degraded man is. Look how coarse and crass he's... He has no limits and he's addicted and he doesn't know when to end and when to begin. Judaism teaches us, however, that on the contrary, you know where this comes from? Because where does our ego, where does our natural soul come from? It comes from the world of chaos, which preceded the world of Tikkun of Mendi. The world of chaos had this intense light, intense, powerful energies but there was no vessels to contain it, and that's why there was a shattering of the vessel. And as a result of the shattering, there was a breakdown. And as a result of the breakdown, the, the lights fell into this world, and that's why the material urges that we have are so intense, are so powerful. And the more coarse and the more crass it is, the more powerful is the intensity, the more intense are the urges that we have to it. Something that's kosher, we don't have such a great intense urge. The more not kosher it is, the greater the urge, the greater the intensity. So we have this infinite, insatiable desire, cravings. We have these powerful cravings. The more junkier it is, the more powerful the craving. Junk food, junk lifestyle, the more powerful the craving. It's an addiction. It's empty. There's nothing there. But where does this come from? This comes from actually a very good place. Because deep down what we're really craving for and yearning for is something infinite. It's Hashem. 
Because these energies came from the world of chaos, which was these powerful energies and connections with Hashem. But because of the shattering of the vessels, something gets lost in the translation. So we think that we're craving for coarseness and crassness and material things and junk food and junk lifestyle and empty things and self-destructive things. But the truth is, what we're really craving for is for godliness, for something undefined, for something infinite and undefined, which is why it's insatiable. Our appetites are insatiable. Our sexual appetites are insatiable. Only human beings. Animals don't have any insatiable appetites. They bond once a year, twice a year, and they're very happy. Only human beings are crazy. Insatiable. They can never get enough. And they, they'll burn the house down. They'll, burn, they'll destroy themselves and destroy everything around them. But where does this come from? Ultimately, it comes from a very holy place. So instead of dismissing man as being coarse and crass, and on the contrary, this comes from a very profound place. Because essentially, we come from a very godly place. And something got lost in the translation, but if you can uncover and reveal that yearning, what you're really yearning for, And this is what's accomplished in prayer. That's why prayer is so powerful. That's why prayer is so transformative. Because prayer, it's not just your godly soul is praying, like I'm meditating. That's the difference in the Jewish idea of prayer and meditation. It's like night and day. The idea of meditation is you go off, you escape. You escape. You go off to some spiritual realm. You ignore your body, suppress your body, ignore your body, and you're just meditating. You're becoming sublime and spiritual. It's like a different world, a different reality. Either you continue with that reality, you you, um, tune in and tune out, and move to some mountaintop in Nepal, and you pray for the rest, and you meditate for the rest of your life. Or, you alternate. You have moments of meditation, then you go back to the real world, to the business world. Only Judaism, prayer, teaches us. What's prayer? Prayer is sublimation, taking that animal soul, taking that raw, uh, thrill-seeking, hot-blooded, passionate, ego self, natural self, and transforming it and revealing what are you yearning for? You have these insatiable appetites. You know what your appetite is for? You know what you're really yearning for? Godliness, Hashem, who's infinite and undefined. And nothing materialistic could possibly satisfy those urgings and cravings. The more you indulge, the less satisfied you are. Because that's, that's never what you were looking for in the first place. That's not what you're all about. You think that what you're all about is, is fun and, and indulgence and materialism and... That's not what you're hungering for. That's not what you're searching for. You know what you're hungering for? You know why you have this insatiable appetite, these cravings? You're hungering for Hashem, for godliness. And the only thing that can satisfy that hunger is godliness. Torah, mitzvot, acting like a Jew, speaking like a Jew, thinking like a Jew. Nothing else can possibly come close to begin to address and to satisfy what you're yearning for. That's what prayer is. It's total transformation. It's taking these powerful lights of toyu. And revealing that's my true nature. That's really what I'm all about. That's what this is all about. And sublimating 
that yearning, that infinite yearning, insatiable appetites and yearnings that we have and cravings, sublimating it for Hashem. That's what's accomplished in prayer. That's why in the temple, in the central book in the Torah, what was the central service? Most of the mitzvot evolve around the temple. What was the central service in the temple? Animal sacrifices. What are animals doing in a temple? The temple should be serene, sublime, serenity. There should be nice waterfalls flowing, nice beautiful music, quiet, close your eyes, meditate. A shlachta is a slaughterhouse. Animals, sheep and goats and, 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 and oxen and rams, bulls. What? This is a temple? The holiest spot on earth? This is, what, this is what goes on in the temple? Animals? And the prayers which substitute the, the sacrifices? The only way to pray is you have to move your lips. You have to physically move your lips. Shouldn't you just close your mouth, close your eyes and just meditate and commune with God? But this is the whole point of prayer. The whole point of prayer is sublimating your animal. Not ignoring your animal, not going on some mountaintop, tuning in and tuning out, becoming a monk and a nun, and running off and meditating and dancing with the angels. The whole essence of prayer and the whole power of prayer and the only way, what, reason why prayers are answered, why prayers are able to evoke such a powerful response and to create a miracle that you can see God responding and the miracles and the changes happening in the physical world is precisely because you're taking the animal within you. That insatiable appetite that you have, insatiable cravings that you have, and you're revealing and sublimating it and revealing the godliness, that you're craving for godliness, you're craving for something infinite and undefined, and you're touching Hashem in the deepest way. For this reason, worship is called life of the moment, for it is a malchut to the Borea, Yitzira, and Asiyah. The Talmud says, Rava said to Rabbi Mnuna, Rabbi Mnuna used to pray very long, spend a long time, uh, uh, many hours praying. And he says, you're abandoning the eternal life for the momentary life, temporary life. And the simple meaning is, because Torah is eternal. Torah is with you in this world, and the reward of learning Torah, you continue to study Torah in the afterlife. Prayer, however, is for your physical needs in this world. So it's only in this world. He says, why are you spending so much time? Uh, prayer, instead of, you should be spending more time studying Torah. And don't spend so much time praying, Rabbi. And then the answer, everything has its right time. Here the Alter Rebbe is going to explain what this means on a deeper level. Continue. As Rashi explains on the straightforward level of shot, the Talmud calls prayer life of the moment, literally life of the hour, because people pray for health, peace, and a livelihood. Temporal things that are subject to the limitations of the passing moment. Here, the Alpha Rebbe speaks of how these matters exist in their source, and the supernal Sfirot, and the worlds above the Sfirot of Malchut is the source of time, for it is the Sephira of Malchut sovereignty that reflects the relationship of the infinite one to time. He reigns, he reigns, he will reign, in past, present, and future. The relationship is particularly evident in his Malchut the sense to animate the worlds of Berea, Yitzira, and Asiya. For these worlds all exist in the category of time. And because prayer draws down divine energy into Berea, Yitzira, and Asiya through their source, the time-related sphere of Malchut prayer is called life of the moment. Torah, by Contrast is called eternal life, which is in terms of the Zah. 
For the 248 commandments of the Torah divided into the ten vessels of the ten spirit of the Zvah. The Zvah comprises spirit within the world of Atzlut and as stated in Torah or at the end of Parshat Teruma, Zah marks the conclusion of the infinite worlds, utterly transcending the worlds of Bariya, Yitzira, and Atzlut. So he says the difference between Torah and, and uh, prayer. Torah, like he said earlier, affects the divine world. So it affects the infinite. And we don't feel that effect. When you're studying Torah, yes, you're drawing down the infinite light and accomplishing tremendous things. But the accomplishment remains in the divine world. It doesn't trickle down into this world. Versus prayer affects Malchus, which is the source of our world, the physical, material world. So therefore, the infinite light that is drawn into prayer, through prayer, via Malchus, you see the effect. It manifests itself in this world, in this space and time, in this physical world. You see the manifestation. The manifestation of Torah, we don't see the manifestation. It remains on high in the divine realm, in the infinite realms. But the, the uh, manifestation of prayer is, comes down all the way into this world. So to be, able, to be able to have an effect for the light, to be able to reach and manifest itself, so low, even in the physical, material world, it has to come from a, such a high source. It has to come, if you think, even a greater source than the Torah. Because when you're praying, you're touching the essence of Hashem. It's your essence touching the essence of Hashem. Prayer is when you strip beer. It's when your, your essence just comes forth. And your essence, when you're touching your essence, you touch the essence of Hashem. And then the manifestation reaches all the way into the physical world, in the tangible world. You see the change. And um, that's the power of prayer. So now is prayer. And the next week we're going to discuss what's unique about mitzvah. And then he's going to discuss what's unique about Torah. Each one of them, in its own unique way, has an impact in this world. Like, like nothing else. That's why we need all three. You can't just pray, and you can't just study Torah, and you can't just do mitzvah. You need all three, and all three are essential, and are pillars. So till now we learned what's unique about prayer, what's special about prayer, what's powerful about prayer. And uh, by the Alter Rebbe in Chabad Chassidus, which just highlighted and emphasized and explained what's unique about the Baal Shem explained why prayer is so essential. In the Chassid's life, in the Jew's life, prayer is like the heart and soul of Yiddishkeit. It's the fire. It's, the, it's where everything happens. It's in prayer. That's where change happens. That's where, that's where we come face to face with Hashem. That's where the essence of a Jew touches the essence of Hashem. The Bahir says that the Torah was created 2,000 years before time. Right. So it's, it's, it's at a much deeper level. Yes, but the novelty, innovation of prayer, the ability to transform in that fiery prayer, to transform the energies of chaos, to transform your animal soul, that the animal soul should start loving Hashem and revealing its source in the world of, of, of chaos, this, is trans- this transformation is a novelty, is an, is an innovation. 
So that reaches even, even, even greater. That reaches even higher. That reaches even higher. Because saying that 2,000 years precedes 2,000 years before the world, it's also connected to the world. It precedes the world or it connects the world. Here, it's, you're touching the essence of Hashem. Because you're touching your essence. And your essence touches the essence of Hashem. And then the whole universe dissolves. And then the response comes directly from Hashem and it cuts, cuts through all the red tape, so to speak. And there's no bureaucracy and there's no red tape and there's nothing. It just goes straight to the point and straight the prayers are answered and you see it immediately and tangibly and materially and physically Hashem changing things. You see Hashem prayer, responds to prayer. And this is our strength. This is our secret. This is our secret weapon. Prayer. The non-Jews knew it. Many times throughout history, when they wanted some, something, they knew. Not, not because they were anti-Semitic. Many times they were not anti-Semitic, but they knew the power of a Jew's prayer. So the king would make a decree against the Jewish people, knowing the Jews are going to storm heaven and earth, and they're going to pray so hard that whatever the king wanted will happen. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. So this is the power of prayer, and the power of prayer is so powerful. This has been our secret. This is our weapon. So if the power of prayer was so powerful, why do all of these horrible travesties happen to the Jews? Are they praying for that to happen? I don't think so. Oh, God forbid. But to change change things, the power of prayer to change things, it's the power of prayer to change things. The world is set up in a certain way but the power of prayer to change our mazel. We can change things. We can right. create a new reality. Prayer has the power to change the reality because you become new in prayer. You are renewed in prayer. You become a new person if you pray properly. You saw that by, by, the, by the Rebbe. You saw that, obviously. The Rebbe would walk into prayer. He would walk into shul one way. After prayer, he walked out. It was like a new person. With a, with a, you know, in his step, his, he was like, his face was flush. He walked with a vigor of, he was like rejuvenated. It was a, it was a, it was, prayer was an experience. Prayer is not just mouthing words. You become transformed. You're a new person. Such a prayer. Such prayers are, are answered. If we're the same person we were after the prayer, before the prayer, then it's no wonder why those prayers are not answered. Such prayers don't, don't have any effect. They are stuck. They go nowhere. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.